more non-binary people maybe where you didn't expect them surprise <laughs> they're they're <laughs> lurking in the bushes yeah they're gonna jump out at you any second and be like i'm non-binary and you're gonna be like keep your lack of gender to yourself Welcome back to Random Fandom, everyone. I am Britt Kelly, and this week I've been doing a lot of wearing my union hat and making sure that the administrative folks and yuckety yucks at UC abide by their contract with lecturers and treat their lecturers reasonably. And I am here with my fantastic co-host, Stephanie. Hi, I'm Stephanie. This week, I have been dealing with some of the downsides of fandom. I'm moving and I'm having to pack all my stuff and I'm finding all of the items that like previous fangirl Stephanie thought were really, really important and present fangirl Stephanie doesn't find quite so necessary in her life anymore. Anything in particular? That's intriguing. My... I had a like an Easter or like a Halloween candy bucket mm-hmm. that was or it, it is it's a Halloween candy bucket that is Batman's head <laughs> because I have been a, a kind of lifelong fan of Batman. It's it's tapered off in the last few years, but I, I was looking at this and I was like, I might still be a, a Batman fan, but I don't know that I need his head in bucket form <laughs> following me into the next phase of my life. Yeah, especially since like, it's not like you're going to go trick or treating. And usually they're not big enough necessarily for like holding candy in for Halloween time. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the Batman head was currently holding all of my Star Wars action figures. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Love a little crossover. Yeah, it would be an interesting mashup. I decided to let go of most of the Star Wars action figures, but I kept all of my princess Leia's. So, yeah, I mean, I think that seems important and the only feminist option. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, do you have a tagline for us? Random fandom, the show where we can prove to you that anything is a narrative. <laughs> you know, I, yes, I think actually, I think that fits really well. This week, we're talking about The Last of Us. We'll be focusing on the 2013 game and talking about the most recent adaptation of that on HBO. Yeah, actually, so as part of preparation for this, I have been looking at some of the different like playthroughs of key parts just to remind myself of like what happened where and to provide some comparison points. And yeah, I mean, I feel like Certainly there's a lot of cutscenes in this game, but this game I think is one of the first that really blew people away because it was so cinematic throughout. Yeah. And it's kind of known for that. So I feel like, yeah, it's it definitely is a narrative and you and you get swept up to it in in some really interesting ways for sure. So what what is your relationship to The Last of Us? Well, we'll start with the game. Yeah. So I played the game. When did I play that? I'm going to guess it was probably around 2015, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I actually remember you coming over to my house one night to, to play it with me. Like, yeah, we hung out and played Last of Us. And 
yeah, so I I picked up a used copy somewhere and I played through the whole game. It was interesting to watch the show recently mm-hmm. and think about what parts of the game I remembered really well and what parts I didn't or was kind of hazy on. Yeah. But I, I remember really liking the game. I remember finding the ending really troubling in a lot of ways. Ooh, um, okay. So yeah, that's that's kind of this feels like a really simple relationship this time, I guess. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I'll be interested to hear about your feelings about the ending for sure. Yeah. So you were my introduction to this video game. I at the time had started dating this guy who was into video games and bird watching. And when I talk about him like that, it makes him sound like a real nerd and loser, but he's really cool. And so I was like, hey, I, I I think I had played, I was at the time at least either playing Dragon Age or Mass Effect, but I'd, I think I'd played through quite a few of those and was like, just looking for other types of games. I came over to your place and you were like, let's play this game called The Last of Us. And yeah, I think we played through to when they're trying to get Ellie to City Hall or wherever it is, yeah. to the Fireflies, and they're going through like an abandoned office building, I think. And you, that's the first time you meet clickers and they were very scary. (laughs) They were, they were, they were unsettling. Yes. So that's, yeah, that's my introduction to it. Then I think Matt had a copy of it. And then I, I moved in 2016 to North Dakota for my first job. And Matt got me a PlayStation three and a couple of different games. And one of them was the last of us. So I spent my first several months in a small town in North Dakota playing the zombie game. And I could only play it for so long at a time because I got really stressed out by fighting the zombies and the humans, just all the fights. And I I spent a lot of time very slowly making it through areas because I was trying to like sneak around. I feel like I I definitely fell in love with the game right away. And I think it is because of all of the just incredibly cinematic moments of this game. And they they just immediately drop you into it and you are kind of immediately forging, I feel like, pretty strong relationships to the characters. And part of that's because you're like literally inhabiting them. Yeah. So that's pretty, I don't know, there's something really kind of interesting and perfect about the shape of the game. And it was very different from a game, games that I had been playing. So I'd been playing Dragon Age and Mass Effect where there's rails there, right? It's not a completely open world, which I have trouble with just open world games because I need to have I need, I need to have a little bit of a bigger fanfare when I reach a particularly interesting moment than just like, and then you did it, but you were overleveled and, and now you can just yeah. stay here and keep <laughs> doing stuff. And I'm like, this is not, this is not how I like, I like to have a big, I guess, narrative ending, which uh, is provided to you by those games, but they also allow you to like adjust and kind of develop your own sense of character. And there's, you know, yeah. romance relationships that you can enter, but in general, there's not any kind of like parent child stuff going on it's interesting to think about this in relation to games like mass effect where your your character that you're inhabiting is given to you as a little bit of a blank slate like Mm -hmm. you you have options about who they are about what their background is you often have like moral choices that you can make whereas this is a game where joel is his own person yeah and you don't 
you can like do things with his body but in terms of who he is as a character he is like he's pretty set as a person you don't get to influence or affect that yeah there's no like options in terms of what what he turns into what ellie becomes yeah it's so it's much more like on rails in that kind of way almost like i mean i guess it is sort of a shooter game in that in that way but yeah so i it was a very different kind of game but it really sucked me in certainly just all of the zombie horror which was definitely i think like still on the edge of the zombie zeitgeist (laughs) at that time when i started playing it and it also was just a good game for keeping me company in the very, very quiet evenings of a very small town, North Dakota, where yeah. I, I definitely felt like I was stationed <laughs> for my first job. Yeah. So yeah, for I, what I thought we could do for our listeners is kind of talk through the storyline of the game. Yeah. Um, it will be interesting to to have you talk through the game, I think, and I can maybe talk about what it was like in the show a little bit because I have okay. seen that more recently. That sounds great, actually, because cool. I have watched the show, but I think I've been thinking about the game a lot uh, the past couple of weeks. So cool. the game, just for a little bit of other background. It was released apparently on June 14th of 2013 by Naughty Dog and Sony Interactive Entertainment. It was designed by Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley. I think Neil Druckmann is on the TV show, but Bruce is not. I do think Neil Druckmann was on development of The Last of Us Part Two, which we won't really talk about today, but I don't know if Bruce Straley was on that second game or not. So it's a game about the end of the world, basically what happens when you face the end of the world as you know it. And in this case, the end of the world is caused by a fungus they call, I can't remember the full name, but they call it the cordyceps fungus that I think, well, they just, they described this more on the show. I don't remember how they actually, they didn't talk about it in a huge amount of depth in the game, but basically There was this fungus that takes over your brain and you kind of become a non-person and you just want to attack and eat and feed. Basically, that's it. So you become a zombie, but but you become a zombie because of fungus instead of some other kind of virus. The way they explained it in the show, which they actually, I thought it was interesting that they decided to go into so much more depth about it in the show, Mm -hmm. is that, and this is actually like a real life thing, like fungus does take over creatures like ants, for instance. Yeah. It infects them. And then the whole goal is to like survive and perpetuate. So the ant will then like attack other ants or it will hide for a while and like do irregular ant things. And in the show, they make it so that the jump to humans happens through infected wheat. So it's like infected wheat flour that goes out internationally from its place of origin and ends up spreading. And it was especially striking the very first scene of the show is this like filming of a, of a talk show thing Mm -hmm. where um, you have these two scientists talking about, well, one of them is like in the middle of talking about pandemics like pandemic viruses and everything Mm -hmm. and the other scientist is like I'm not scared of that like that's not what keeps me up at night what keeps me up at night is fungus and I I think that choice was especially striking given that we have all you know been living through a pretty catastrophic global pandemic and having like that experience and then having the scientist character say like 
no, like fungus is what we really need to be worried about <laughs> was very striking. So, yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting choice because in the game, you get it sort of in passing, mm-hmm. but I, I think it works in the game because in the game, it's like you are, well, first you're Sarah. So that I guess I'll, I'll continue explaining. So that yeah. game opens and the first character we see is a 12-year-old girl named Sarah Miller. She's asleep on the couch waiting for her dad to come home. Her dad comes home. You learn pretty quickly that it's clear that he's a single father, that he works a lot to help maintain their lives in the way that they are. So they live in a pretty nice, like two-story, multiple-bedroom house in what appears to be the suburbs of, is it Dallas or Austin? I can't remember. Oh, gosh. I want to say Dallas. I want to say Dallas as well, but now I'm not sure. Oh God, I ruined it already. It's fine. We're just going to commit to it being Dallas. And if we're wrong, don't at us. Yeah. Because we have admitted we might also be wrong. They live in the suburbs, right? Like not super far from a large city in Texas, but not in the city proper. Because we hear that some of the neighbors do work in the city, and which is how it's suggested that they became sick. So, but what we see first is her waking up, her dad coming home. It's still his birthday because it's before midnight. So she gives him this birthday gift, which is a watch that he's had for a long time, but she got it fixed because it wasn't working. And then they sit and they watch a movie together and he takes her up to bed to go to sleep. The next thing we see is we're we're kind of woken up by really loud sounds all around and a phone ringing. And Sarah wakes up, kind of jostles awake, sort of like, what's going on? Why is the phone ringing? Gets kind of like a panicked call, but it doesn't complete because the phones go down pretty quickly. So she starts going around the house. So you, the first play, the first body you're playing in is the the body of a 12 year old girl. And it's really creepy and you're walking through your house at night looking for your dad. So you can walk all over the place, but generally what they end up having you do is you walk over to your dad's room and there's news on talking about people getting sick and what's going to happen and what's going on. And it's very scary. You can see a news report of a gas explosion, which you then hear a big explosion out of your window and your father is nowhere to be found. So it's really, really creepy and scary. You end up walking downstairs, seeing that your dad, which is Joel, has missed a bunch of phone calls from his brother. The office is empty and the door to the house is open to the outside. And it's very, very creepy, dark. There's a lot of sirens, dogs barking. It's really unclear what's happening. Like something bad is happening, but it's not, it's not something you've ever like experienced before. Then your dad comes running into the office, is chased by a neighbor who seems to be rabid, right? Is kind of like growling and yelling. And, and But as far as you've known, since you saw this neighbor earlier that day, this is just like a normal guy. I don't know what his name is. I don't think it matters necessarily. And then your dad, the first thing you see that happens to this is he shoots the guy in the head with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, immediately you're thrown into this like you you have a great relationship with your dad but he works a lot and then suddenly everything that you knew is breaking down very very quickly so it's pretty terrifying tommy then comes to the rescue and they all pile into his vehicle to try and get to a safety point somewhere certainly not going into the city but trying to find a place I I don't know if they found it on the radio that there was like a place that they were trying to send people to I think that's what they were looking for 
So anyway, you basically then it, it brings you into kind of driving through and seeing different people either stranded on the road. You see that uh, there, there's a burning house of one of your neighbors nearby. You have no idea what's happened to them. Once you come up on the interstate, completely backed up. For some reason, the interstate is right next to a hospital, which has patients like running out of it and attacking people. So you end up driving through downtown where people are running and screaming and there's been car accidents. And eventually the first big thing that happens to you besides driving around trying to find safety is you get hit by a car and you're in a massive accident. At that point, that's when you start playing as Joel when you're trying to get out of the car and the, the big scene, I remember this really vividly when we were playing, because I think you played, maybe I played the first bit here where I was playing as Sarah. And then I picked up as Joel. And I remember I died so quickly when I was handed Sarah, because I was like, where do I run? And I was like looking around too much and I got eaten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like right away. Yeah. So then you're, you're as Joel, you're carrying your 12 year old daughter who has a broken leg through this town. That's got people screaming all around you. There's other people attacking those people who appear to have the same issue that your neighbor had. And it's really hard to like tell who's who, because everybody is just kind of running and screaming. Yeah. So anyway, the, the opening scene ends as you finally manage to get out of this downtown area away from all of the screaming you are just barely saved from a, a zombie attacking you by a soldier who shoots that zombie. You think, ah, finally, we're going to be saved and helped by this person, this military personnel. And then that person receives orders to shoot you, regardless of whether or not you're infected. And he shoots at you. Tommy comes in to save the day again because he's really good at those last minute save the day situations, at least early game. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he shoots the guy, but unfortunately it's too late. Sarah has been shot, gut shot and dies in your arms in the very opening scene. So in the prologue, the whole world begins to shut down. You've been introduced to playing as a 12 year old girl and as a man in his thirties, I guess that's what I'm guessing. And uh, then by the end of it, you lose your daughter and, and everything you've ever known. Watching this episode in the show was hard. Knowing what's coming, yeah. it was not unlike when Game of Thrones was airing and you knew the Red Wedding episode was coming. And like, if you read the books, which if I you read the didn't. books, <laughs> oh well, I I had read the books and my partner hadn't, and not talking about that was so hard. Luckily, in this case, he knew already like he was familiar enough with the last of us even though he hadn't played it himself he'd actually i probably watched me played it some Mm -hmm. um so he knew it was coming but they they put a lot more time into the character of sarah in the show Mm -hmm. than you get in the game and you have more time to get kind of emotionally connected to her and the whole time if you've played the game you know what's coming and it's it was hard like it was rough (laughs) yeah i don't know when we played it when we got to that scene, if you had already played that scene, I got the sense that you had. So you kind of knew that it was coming. I have. Yeah. And I did not. And I was like, what the fuck? And then when I, but I did know it for the show. And even though I knew it was coming, I, I cried. Yeah. I definitely cried. I was like, oh God, no, Joel, your daughter, yeah. Sarah. Yeah. I liked that they spent a little bit more time getting to know Sarah because she's 
you get bits and pieces of her and you can Mm -hmm. see why Ellie reminds Joel of her in terms of like the kind of sarcastic responses she provides. Like he asks her where she got the money to repair the watch from. And she says that she sells hardcore drugs. And he says, good, you can start helping with the mortgage now, which is really cute. But they give us a lot more time with her. We also get to see a little bit more of the town and like relationships with neighbors, which is kind of interesting as well. And I, I think that part of, you know, with that extension and we seeing the relationship with neighbors, we see Sarah like go into not necessarily the city, but a more kind of urban feeling part of town to get the watch mm-hmm. fixed and stuff yeah. like that. And it, it really serves to contrast how people interact with each other before and how we see people interacting with each other after when there yeah. is such higher levels of mistrust and hostility and less neighborly like behavior. That's a good point because, well, it's interesting too, because we have, even in the game, we have Sarah as a counterpoint to Joel, but less so. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in, in revisiting the opening of the game, you have Sarah really upset that her father has shot her neighbor. She's really not mm-hmm. sure what's happening. She wants them to pull over to help the family that that's that car mm-hmm. has broken down. Yep. You know, she, and in the show, we see so much more of that. She actually goes over to the neighbors to, to take the dog back and to see what's going on with them. And, and similarly, she wants him to help these people. It's, it's interesting because pretty much immediately, Joel is very much like every person for themselves. We will not yeah. stop to help this family. You, you can see how he becomes so hardened yep. so quickly. He was already predisposed. Yep. It also raises an interesting question too, by having Sarah be so trusting and willing to help people. Is that why she had to die? <laughs> Is there some kind of like, if you were that soft in that time, yeah. you would never have survived? Because we know that Tommy also, we, there's some shady stuff that Tommy and Joel were doing in the 20 years yeah. between that scene and yeah. when we actually see Joel again. So it's kind of interesting. It it did. I appreciated that the show made Sarah feel like more of a character and less like, uh, I think they call the trope, like the woman in the refrigerator, like yeah. a female character who has to die to further the plot line of a man, which arguably she still does, but it at least felt more like she was a person, like a fleshed out character. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that we'll come back to that here in a moment. So the next yeah. thing that happens in the game is you, there's a huge time jump. So it just jumps 20 years. It's like, we don't want to know all of the stuff that was happening in this huge collapse of society right away. We don't want to kind of go through the bog of that collapse. Instead, we're just going to shunt you forward 20 years. So we move forward to, I guess it's 2020 in the game as well, isn't it? That's what I remember. Sounds right. So you pick up with Joel. He's now living in a shithole apartment in the quarantine zone in Boston. We get no explanation as to how he's suddenly in Boston versus somewhere in Texas, but we understand that that means at least for a while he was traveling a lot. So we learn pretty quickly because we see him kind of go home from work duty. Then his friend and partner, Tess, comes. She had gone out, I guess, trying to, to look into something and was, I think, jumped. Anyway, she comes in to have some whiskey and be like, where were you, Joel? I needed your help for this thing. And she 
convinces him to help her go and get their guns back, which they exchanged for. I actually don't remember if it was as clear in the game as it is in the show that it was for a car battery for him to go check on his brother, Tommy, who is not in the quarantine zone. So they are no longer together. But in the game, she's like, we got to go get our guns back. We've been cheated out of them by this person, Robert. I know where he hangs out. So we learn pretty quickly that Joel, though he is living in the quarantine zone, is basically working as a smuggler. In the game, they don't, like, it seems like maybe Joel and Tess have hooked up, but like, they don't necessarily have a deep romantic relationship. So that you go, the, the kind of the first thing you do is, is, smuggler life you're you're in a very different world so you know you go and you you get past the gates that are blown up by the fireflies which are still kind of like you're not part of them but they're sort of like these local terrorists who are trying to take down fedra which is the military federal presence left you're basically living in like a uh military town i guess like that under martial law the fireflies are really pushing back against that so they bomb one of the gates you manage to get past it as you're trying to go do your run to find robert you talk to a number of people make trades in terms of like you can have these ration cards or whatever like shitty trades right that you would end up doing and under martial law yeah. And eventually you end up going through a bunch of different fights. You do encounter Robert and kill all of his people. And it, you come to find out that he's already given these guns to the Fireflies for their work. I think at some point you then run into, you meet Marlene, who is the leader of the Boston Fireflies. Not all of the Fireflies, I don't think. And she was, I think, trying to to get these guns for things and maybe a battery. I don't know. They, they, they make it clearer in the show, whatever. She has access to the things that you want and that Tess has told you that you need in order to do whatever it is you want to do in the game as smugglers. Yeah. Through that, she takes you to a young 14-year-old girl named Ellie, who she is trying to smuggle out of the city. By this point, everything is kind of like fallen completely apart. You've killed a bunch of Robert's men. There's a huge bunch of military men between you and getting out of the city. And Marlene has been shot and can't take Ellie on her own. So she asks Joel, who is a smuggler and Tess, to get Ellie out of the city. But she does not explain to Joel why that's important. So Joel just assumes it's like a big wigs kid and the, the fireflies want her to um, to apply pressure to the leadership of the, the quarantine zone in Boston. So he agrees because he really just wants those guns. So that all goes by actually pretty quickly. You then start playing with Tess, Joel, and Ellie. And the next part is just like a really long kind of battle through zombie infested areas and sneaking past military so you don't get shot too much. Um, yep. to try and smuggle Ellie out of the city. The next key point in the game is when you get cornered by one of the military people. I think there's two of them actually. And because they're, they have their guns on you and you haven't managed to sneak around, you, you're all sort of on your knees in front of the military folks. They start to test whether you are infected with this cool little thing that looks basically just like a like an uh, a microchip reader for your pets that's what it looks like oh. <laughs> and somehow it yeah it's weird it looks like that in the game and in the show and somehow it manages to tell whether you're infected or not without touching you which is like star trek type yeah. uh, technology so that's kind of 
good. At least you don't have to like have your finger pricked or anything to, to see if you're infected. They don't stick a swab up your nose. <laughs> nope. No swab up your nose. Nope. None of that's happening. So they, they quickly test Tess and Joel. They, they are obviously it comes back green. They're not infected. And then ba, 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 Ellie, they, they test Ellie and the test comes back, I guess, red. Like this is bad. She's infected with the, with fungus. She's going to turn eventually. Ellie was prepared for this because she already knows this obviously about herself and has taken her knife out. She attacks the person who's doing the test. And with the help of Tess and Joel, they're able to take out the two military personnel. But then of course, Tess and Joel are both really, really pissed off that she's been bitten, but she explains that that bite happened three weeks ago and she's not contagious and she hasn't turned and isn't going to turn. So it begins to become clearer why Marlene was so interested in this 14-year-old and why she wanted to get her out of the city. After this point, basically it Tessa's urging you continue. You want to get Ellie back to Marlene and the folks who are going to get her out of the city into whatever it is they're going to do with her, presumably to make a vaccine. So then you move forward. There's more zombies. There's lots of clickers. You start to learn the different types of zombies. <laughs> yeah which is interesting because and it's not really a video game. Yeah. It's, it's all the same kind of monster. No, there's all of these different zombies. You've got your, your typical runners, right. Who yep. are fast and will notice you. You've got the clickers who are also fast, but can't see you except through echolocation, which was actually really kind of an interesting way to design a yeah. It means that you can like move quietly and slowly. And in some circumstances, if you're in the right spot, just stay still as it's walking by you. But if you don't have a shiv or a knife, you can't kill it in hand to hand combat. Anyway, so we meet those two. We fight, we fight them. They're very scary. We die a lot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Eventually you do get to where Marlene told you to meet her, which is I guess city hall. Yeah. I just guessed it was city hall. I used to live in Boston. I should know this, but it's like the main Capitol building, which would not take you very long to get to at all in normal everyday Boston because Boston's actually pretty small and walkable. Like yeah. they take like a day <laughs> or at least several yeah. hours to get from the starting point where the quarantine zone is to the Capitol building, which and I think this has taken like maybe 45 minutes. So this was like. <laughs> I think this was maybe like one of the most memorable things about the game for me is like when you get out of the QZ and you're in, you know, Boston proper mm -hmm. for the first time and you, you kind of see like these tumbled down buildings, they're overgrown. Mm -hmm. It's this really kind of both like beautiful and terrifying landscape. Yeah. And I felt like the show captured that feeling really well of the first time you get out of the QZ and you see this like completely different kind of space from what you have been in up yeah. to this point. It's, it is, it's like this weird mix of eerie and like comforting or inviting mm -hmm. peaceful because like, it's kind of been taken over by nature. There's, yeah. it's all overgrown. There's grass everywhere and trees, there's birds. Whereas the QZ is like very, it's very tightly packed people. Concrete. Yeah. 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 There's 
there's not much light that comes in. Mm-hmm. It's it's all very gray and grim compared to getting past the the borders of the quarantine zone. Yeah, it's weird. You, it, if there's no zombies or raiders around, it, it's really beautiful and nice. <laughs> yeah, apart from the like you know structural problems, there's a lot of <laughs> uh, structural integrity issues that that come up <laughs> as important yeah. in this game for sure. So you get to the, the Capitol building, you find out that basically you've been beaten there by someone, uh, I guess Robert's men, and they kind of basically killed each other. So like you go there to meet up with the fireflies to like give them Ellie and then you will get your guns and go on your merry way. And instead everything is even more fucked than it was hours before. Everybody's dead. There's nothing to do except maybe continue to get Ellie out of there and and meet up with the fireflies somewhere else. So we find out at this stage, not only that everything has gone to shit, but even worse, that Tess has been bitten and that the military are coming to see what the whole hubbub was at the Capitol building. So basically she gives you as Joel a choice, right? She says, you need to get her out of here. She's special. That means Ellie because she's immune we should, you should try to take her to the fireflies and make sure that they can try and make a vaccine. That's a really important thing to do. By the way, I got bitten. I'm fucked. So I'm going to stay back and provide you some cover fire to give you some time to escape. So it's really, it's really sad. Actually, you say goodbye to Tess so soon in the game. Tess feels like she's no nonsense. She's really interesting. It would have been interesting, I think, to follow Tess and Ellie in some way, but I know the whole point is the father-daughter. They've already set that up in the opening and heartbreaking prologue yeah. of the game. Yeah, but they they do seem to have her, their relationship is quite different in the show. I don't know yeah. how I felt about it. Yeah, in the show, there was this implication that Tess had romantic feelings about Joel that he didn't return mm-hmm. and that it, it one of the things that is kind of interesting about I think the game and the show is like what kinds of romantic relationships we see and are allowed to like really develop on, on screen so to speak and then what kinds of romantic relationships we don't see or, or aren't allowed to be on screen and the fact that Joel is never shown in any kind of romantic relationship is kind of interesting like he's a single father at the start it feels kind of like maybe his wife died. Yeah. Um, I think is the the implication. And then here, it, it's almost like there, you know, there could have been a relationship with Tess. There is a relationship with Tess, but it's not a romantic one. And why it's not a romantic one, I think is presented kind of differently in the book. Not the book. We're not talking about a book. Um, <laughs> in, the, in the video game, in the movie. Yeah, I mean, well... In the game, Tess is younger, like a lot younger than him. I mean, I I don't, they don't really specify it, but she's a lot younger. Like to me, she reads as like mid to late 20s in the game, whereas in the show, she reads as if she's younger, not much, right? Like they kind of read as if in their late 40s, early 50s, kind of, and they're about the same age. Yeah, I remember my partner and I did the calculations on Joel's different ages in the story and then found out that Pedro Pascal's actual age is right in the middle of them almost. So he's like early fifties at this point. And I I thought in the show, she read as like mid to late forties. Yeah. Yeah. They're much closer in age. I, I also read there was a lot more like, like he, it seems like there is romantic 
softness there, but he's not necessarily in love with her to the same degree, but he does love her and they do have a relationship. Whereas in the game, that's their like work partners who probably have fucked a couple times. (laughs) That's kind of the thing. Yeah. In the show, they definitely look like they have at at least some kind of like domestic relationship. Yeah. He seems to care about her quite a bit. They they seem to more or less live together. Yeah. Yeah, But she does say something about like, even though you could never love me like I loved you. So it it seems to suggest that like she wanted something more from the relationship and had accepted the fact that like he couldn't give it for whatever reason. Right. It's interesting. I, I, I actually kind of like an older Tess. I feel like in the game, she was, I don't know, another refrigerator lady, just like this hot young thing who is also really badass despite how skinny she is like and doesn't seem to have (laughs) a lot of muscle build right like she's just kind of there to set up like maybe some degree of additional reasoning to to continue with the mission yep yeah and I I don't I don't know I think maybe that's maybe one of the weaker points in the game but she does allow you to escape sort of you then have to hide and kill a number of military men before you're able to get out of the building but that's kind of the end of Boston like you you leave Tess behind you you manage to get out of Boston and then you move on forward to get supplies and see if you can find a vehicle to get you further than just walking on foot so that the game kind of shifts I I guess I should have said that the game also follows seasons at some point. I think we start with spring when we're in Boston and then we move into summer if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, the next part of the game, like I'm just trying to cover like the big pieces that I remember. There's a lot of small stuff that happens. So the first thing you do outside of Boston is you go to the small town to find your friend Bill, which they leave pretty unstated in the game. How in the world you came across Bill? It seems like you came across him by accident and somehow gained a grudging respect from him. But nonetheless, you know, he has access to things, including very importantly, a car So you go to him to try and get a car running. The town has been pretty overrun with zombies and there are a lot of shenanigans ensue. You go to a high school building that's got this new type of zombie you haven't seen yet, which is called a bloater. It's this huge zombie that like throws poison spores at you. I had forgotten about that entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is very exciting. It's uh, that I I had to play that battle many times because you have to learn that you got to run around a lot and then shoot and then run and then shoot. It was a lot. (laughs) Yes. So you go and you, you, you visit Bill and the high school turns out to be a non-starter. So then you're kind of trying to figure out where to go next. You're basically just running from zombies in the game. You then end up in this house where Bill's pissed off because he's like I can't believe you came here you brought a lot of trouble and then sometime in that that fight he sees what in the game he refers to as his partner like it's implicated that that they mean like romantic and sexual partner but they never make it clear in the game Um, you see that this person has hanged themselves because they were bit by zombies and they didn't want to turn You can see that Bill is upset by this, but he also kind of just follows that with fuck him, that his his partner, as he calls him, Frank, has died in this horrible way. 
Yeah. Ellie finds a truck in the garage. They manage to get it started, run away from a bunch of zombies. Then you let Bill go and he's like, hey, here's something, you know, to help you get gas from other stranded vehicles. Fuck off. Don't come back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the sequence too, where at the very beginning of the sequence is you get caught in one of Bill's traps. You're hanging upside down by a rope and you're having to shoot at zombies when you're upside down as Joel, which was really hard. And I died a lot. (laughs) Jeez. I've apparently blocked a lot of this game out. (laughs) Well, I, I, I was like, I wanted to see what Bill was like in the game again, because I was like, hold on, like (laughs) this, well, how did this, because it happened so early in the game. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that fucking trap where you're having to shoot at zombies upside down and it's really hard and disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. Swinging about by your feet. But obviously our introduction to Bill in the show. Very very different. different. (laughs) This episode was also very hard to watch yeah maybe even harder so in in the show bill is played by nick offerman i started to say ron swanson uh, (laughs) because he basically does he still feels like ron swanson so bill is is this like survivalist he's a conspiracy theorist he's been like prepping for years in preparation for like the new world order taking over and mm-hmm. all of this stuff so when they come into his town to round people up to take them to the quarantine zones supposedly some supposedly. people don't make it yeah and are instead killed by the military he he hides out in his basement until the military is gone, assuming that the town has been emptied. And he basically takes over the town for himself. He sets up all his elaborate traps and he's, he's like happily living his best life by himself with all of his like, you know, hoarded supplies and also his ability to make stuff and keep machines running and all of that. Mm-hmm. And in the show, we get to see him meet his partner, Frank, who wanders into his town and falls into one of his traps. And Bill agrees to let Frank stay long enough to like have a shower and get some dinner. And mm-hmm. then he's supposed to go on to, I can't remember which town it was, which city he was trying to get. He might've been trying to get to Boston. I think he was Boston, trying to get actually. to Boston. Yeah. yeah. Frank ends up realizing that Bill is a gay man like himself. He basically asks, like, in not so in so many words, but he basically asks Bill if he wants to have sex, and, mm. and Bill agrees. Frank says that he doesn't just do this for a lunch, so if they're going to do this, he's going to stay a few more days. Bill agrees again, and they end up spending the rest of their lives together yeah. in this little town. And one of the major differences is how Frank dies. Frank is not bitten by one of the fungus zombies. He instead has a like, he looks like he has a neurogenerative disease. Like, yeah, um, I I think it was supposed to probably be ALS. I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they ever say that, but that does seem to be what a lot of his symptoms look like. Yeah. And, and Frank kind of decides one night that like, he's ready to go. He, he is degenerated to a point where his mobility is seriously impaired. He doesn't feel like he wants to keep living. So mm. he and Bill go get some really nice new suits 
and they have their own little private marriage ceremony in their home. And then later that night, they drink two glasses of wine with a whole lot of drugs in them and basically die by suicide together in their bed. Yeah, it's, each other. I rewatched this episode last night because I was like, I, I feel like this is one of the biggest changes they made yeah. is. And I, I saw so I had watched rewatched a video of like the kind of the big cross scenes of you meeting Bill in the game. And then mm-hmm. this episode, first of all, they packed a lot into this episode. This episode mm-hmm. is an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. And it actually starts like with you on the trail right after Tess has, has died and you've left her behind and there's a, a real coldness between Joel and Ellie at the moment because he's upset that Tess is dead and Ellie's like, hey, that's not my fault. You guys decided to do this. Stop blaming me for something that was outside of my control. So it starts with you following them and then and then you get to kind of see Bill, how he became this guy just living by himself in a town. I will mm-hmm. say in the in the show, he's way better set up. Like it mm-hmm. seems like in the game, like he's got a lot of stuff and he's rigged traps, but he has not been able to like set up a perimeter fence and stuff. Yeah. It also seems like the town they put him in in the show is a lot smaller. Yeah. They do have this really chilling scene. The first thing you see, because the, one of the things that, that Ellie runs into is just a mass grave in a in a ditch, basically. And you can kind of see the s- multiple skeletons, but uh, the skeleton of what you assume to be a woman and a mother because of the clothes and because there is a tiny little baby-sized skeleton next to her. Yeah. And then it, it switches to you seeing the people being rounded up, including, and I think we should come back to this, or maybe we could talk about it right now, including a Black woman and her Black mm-hmm. baby, who they then, you know, that they just drive them just outside of town and shoot them all yeah. because you've already seen the skeletons. Uh, so yeah, I think we'll need to come back around to this, but this is this moment of just like meaningless Black death in this this game series and in this show just lots of black bodies just dying yeah for plot purposes <laughs> it seems yeah. like but yeah it's it's interesting like I think I do really feel like they definitely went out of character for Bill because he's able to be changed by Frank Mm-hmm. in the show but I also kind of love that they were like listen this shows a lot so like let's give you some time where you can feel almost normal and like here's a beautiful love story and they kind of yep. gave them the life they deserved to have I feel like yeah and the death they deserve to have well I there's a couple of things here so in in the game the unstatedness of the like homosexuality of the relationship it was it seemed like it was primarily supposed to be a uh like foreshadowing for ellie's own queerness Mm. and part of that is probably because like it's weird to say this but like 2013 was a different time for like (laughs) having queer characters in video games i know it's only 10 um, years ago but it's it's, true (laughs) it seems 
it's actually like it makes me feel a little bit better about like society in general that we can have the last of us in 2023 and they're like this relationship was super gay look at how gay it was and it's like one of the most wholesome things about the show and not a stereotypical Um, gay relationship mm -hmm. like I was thinking about that moment where Frank's like basically let's have sex Mm -hmm. neither one of them is the stereotype queen Mm-hmm. You know, they're both sort of a mix of masculine and feminine. They, mm-hmm. they're into their own things. And that moment, it's not like, Hey, would you like to have sex? It's also not like doing anything weird with it. It's just mm-hmm. like, you know, he asks about a girlfriend that he knows doesn't exist, but it's just like the last test and then they kiss. And then he's like, take a shower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just very like straightforward, but also they're both like so moved by particularly Bill, because he hasn't had any close contact to anyone in so long. They're both so moved by just being around another person. It's very intimate, like intimate. Yeah. It's, and I think also the fact that neither of these actors are like, especially hot, like they're both older guys. I don't know. I thought Frank was pretty hot, but I also (laughs) have quite the affection for Nick Offerman. So yeah. (laughs) I, I think I have a hard time seeing Nick Offerman as a sexual being, to be honest, but that's just me. <laughs> it's It has nothing to do with him and everything to do with me and my own sexuality. But yeah, it's like, it's really intimate and it's very, it's very consensual. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of talking involved before they have sex, which I appreciate. I feel like we skip over that part too much. Also no hand wringing. I loved the the combination of like, let's talk about what you want, what you need, Mm -hmm. what we're going to do. Yeah. But also there's no like, oh my God, I'm gay. Like they didn't do that. And I was like, thank you because that would be boring. So yeah. Yeah. What I mean, one of the things I was thinking about when we finished watching the show is the fact that like the the two romantic relationships that we spend any amount of time on in this show are both queer relationships. And mm-hmm. seeing seeing what the story was able to be in 2013 versus what the story is able to be now without them, they're not making like huge character changes. They're just no. able to like talk more about what was actually happening. That was really cool, I thought. Yeah, I also liked that they were like, hey, instead of having him get bitten and take his own life and never get any news back to Bill... Mm-hmm. Why don't we just have them have a beautiful life together? And I was like, yeah, yeah. which I think is also an, uh, a nice counterpoint to Ellie and uh, Ellie and Riley's really doomed relationship that we don't yeah. see, but that is part of the story of, uh, well, we don't, we see eventually, but we don't see yet. And yeah. we don't see in the original game. That is, that is part of why Ellie got bitten and how she found out she was immune. So in the game, we leave Bill alive and still very bitter. And in the show, we leave Bill in the arms of his lover, Frank. I'm guessing just a couple weeks or so after that, because uh, just the food hasn't completely disintegrated, but everything's kind of like 
very old and all that and covered in dust. So we leave them there. The the next big thing, and then as I was as I was gearing up to say, is you you end up in in Pittsburgh. You've driven down to Pittsburgh. As you're driving in, kind of Joel has this moment where he's like, I don't know about this, but we'll we'll drive through the city instead of trying to get around all these cars on the interstate. You come up across a person who kind of runs into the street and is like, help me, help me. And Ellie's like, oh, we got to help this guy, which is a nice throwback to Sarah wanting to help people. And Mm -hmm. he just, he's like making sure your seatbelt's on. And he just like puts the pedal to the metal to run this guy over because he knows that this is a trap. Unfortunately, it wasn't just a bunch of guys. They did have a bus rigged up and you get into another accident where a huge vehicle hits your other vehicle. (laughs) The second one in the game. I don't know why they're so obsessed with that. Yeah. So you find out as you're fighting these guys and killing them that they were basically trapping anybody who came in by car, stealing all of their stuff and then taking the bodies to eat because there wasn't really any other food available. And so that was their whole point. You managed to get past them. You fight through so many of them. You kill so many people in this game, like people, people, just so many. That's every video game. The number of people like just completely depopulating areas is what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) At some point during all of the running around, you run into two characters named Henry and Sam, and they help you to like basically finish escaping the city because they know some ways through the tunnels because they're from there. So you meet these two characters and you travel with them for a relatively brief period of time. It's kind of like a truce because initially Joel really wanted to shoot the older brother and, uh, but none of that worked out. They both sort of have this like difficult relationship, but Joel, Joel doesn't like depending on anyone else. And he's kind of having to depend on Henry. Yeah. You learn that these two, it, it's, uh, they're named Henry and Sam. Henry is the older brother. He can't be any older than 18, 19, yeah. I would guess. And his younger brother, Sam, who is like uh, 10, 11, 12, something like that, pretty young. And he's trying to protect his brother. He was, I think, with a group of people and they got separated. Something bad happened to them, I think, because of the cannibals of Pittsburgh. So you're you're trying to get out of the city with their help. Again, more zombies, so many zombies. It's very scary. You end up staying in in a place for the night. Sam has this to- has this toy that he really likes that he's kind of hidden away and or no, sorry, he was pick he picked it up and his brother was like, "You don't need that" or whatever. And then Ellie brought it for Sam. So when they spend the night somewhere, somewhere they find that safe, she gives it to him. He reveals that he has been bitten, Sam, the younger brother, and is hoping that he won't become a zombie. And Ellie doesn't tell anyone because who knows, maybe he could also be immune the next morning. Poor Sam is not immune. He has become a zombie. Joel goes to shoot Sam. Henry basically threatens Joel. Do not shoot him. I'm the only one who can do this. He then manages to shoot his own brother and then himself. And that's the end of Henry and Sam, which leaves a a pretty big impact on Ellie in particular, because I think she really formed a a relationship with Sam and and wanted to see them move forward and be able to actually help people. And just at every turn, nothing good has come out of trying to help people. 
Yeah. I think this is a really interesting moment in the game too. And I want to pause on this for a bit because so far we have relatively few black characters. We've had Marlene who at this moment is still alive. She's been injured, but you're going to meet up with her somewhere else. She knows Ellie. So that's cool. We don't know anything about Riley yet. So we'll leave that here. But then we, we have these two characters who seem like you could bring them with you. You could get to know them. You could get them to safety. There's any number of things that could have happened. But what the game designers decide to do, because it is a bleak world, is to kill them both. And I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about that? That they're like, hey, we've got these two Black characters. We're post-racism. But also they die immediately. Well, I felt like this was especially complicated in the show because in the show, they move Henry and Sam to Kansas City, which is historically a very racially divided city. Mm -hmm. And they also, there's a, there's a situation in Kansas City where the fireflies have basically won like the, or I don't know that they're the fireflies there, but the resistance movement has yeah, I don't think they're um, the fireflies. I think they're yeah, they just they're are anti-Fedra, basically. Yeah, they're anti-Fedra. They have kicked out Fedra. And the the leader of the the resistance movement there is the beautiful down Melanie Henry. Linsky. Uh, <laughs> she is so scary and so yeah. sweet at the same time. We should do an episode on yellow jackets sometime. So they she's trying to find Henry. Because Henry was a Fedra informant who sold out her brother. Her brother was the leader of the resistance movement. Henry mm-hmm. sold the brother out in order to get um, leukemia treatment for Sam. Yeah. And so he and Joel have this, this like sit down moment in the show where Henry tells him what he did and basically confesses that he thinks he did the wrong like he he feels guilty for it like he mm-hmm. he kind of expresses that he would have made the same choice no matter what but he doesn't think it was a good choice he doesn't think what he did was a good thing and especially because up until this point besides the zombies fedra has been our other big like force of evil they you know, they seem to be a military dictatorship in a lot mm-hmm. of ways fedra agents seem to be often corrupt and then here in the show we are seeing fedra destroyed and the resistance movement that takes over does not really seem to be any better yeah in terms of like good treatment of humans so it it's a moment of like moral complication and the fact that the leader of the resistance is white most of the high-ranking people we see in the resistance in kansas city are white and they are tracking down to kill these two black boys Yep. is really striking. And I think it it makes the fact that like Sam and, and Henry die even more problematic, maybe. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because in the 2013 game, and I actually, I was reading an article about this. So I'm going to give you something to read here in a minute. But in the 2013 game, we meet these characters and it's sort of like, here's some, in the parlance at the time, here's some representation of Black people. See, here they are. Mm-hmm. And and then they die, right? And it's, you could maybe make the argument that like, it's a, it's a bleak world, everybody's dying it doesn't discriminate and yet it's like well maybe you didn't have to make your main characters white and everyone else 
if you have any people of color, they're not central characters and they are probably going to die, which they tend to do, mm-hmm. especially if they're black characters mm-hmm. in the first game. And it's kind of like, uh, you didn't need to make that decision. Whereas in the show, it's like, instead of it just kind of being like, here's some people who are there to remind you how grim this world is. At least in the show, there's like, there's some other politics going on that potentially you could see as like being a commentary on nice white ladies, which is something we definitely see happening with Melanie Linsky's character. And I think the kind of historical issue that happens when you have particularly middle-class white women get into positions of power, they fuck over people of color and queer people to maintain their power in certain ways, which I think we do see happening. I don't know if that justifies the fact that the show decided to kill them and have to, they got out. (laughs) That actually does relate to, as I was saying, an article that I read. So I'm going to send you a quote from that article as kind of a way to finalize our discussion. And if you could read this quote and then we can respond, that would be great. So this quote comes from an article in Uppercut written by Danny Bethia called The World of the Last of Us Leaves Black Trauma Behind. That's what the article is called. So go ahead and read this quotation. In Naughty Dog's attempt to tell raceless gaming stories, the people of color, especially Black characters, have suffered the most. Racially, Black characters have the most visible screen time and dialogue across the game thus far. Yet, they have all met the same grisly fate. One could make the case that they aren't the main characters, so their lives could be short in the narrative. You would be right if other white characters attached to Joel and Ellie respectively didn't survive to the game's conclusion consistently. Moreover, the visual trauma of seeing Black death is made hyper-visible by proxy of the reality we live in. Yeah, that, that last line especially about yeah. the proxy to the reality. And I, honestly, I didn't realize that um, Kansas City had as much racial tension as it has until I was learning about some of the unionizing of fast food workers and the yeah. struggle that they have had to like unionize across racial lines. But it, it definitely... When I saw that, like they decided to move that to Kansas City, I I wondered why, and I kind of doubt that they did it because they wanted to create a commentary on racism in Kansas City, and it was probably yeah. just to make it seem like they were traveling farther than they were. Um, <laughs> I mean, like maybe it's possible progress. that someone in the writers' room was thinking about it. Maybe. I, so this article, I sh- I should say, is focused on. The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part Two. So it doesn't talk about the show, mm-hmm. but I, I found it really striking because if you think about both games, you do have, and again, we, we were not going to go into depth about the part two. You do have more black characters in part two, but none of them really last very long. Like you, and certainly people of color don't tend to in the games. Like basically by the end, you have two characters of color by the end of The Last of Us Part Two. It is unclear by the end of The Last of Us because you really only know that you're going back to Tommy. (laughs) So, and we haven't seen as much. We see more of that town in the show. So I I don't know. I I think it's, it's, it's a really important point. It's kind of like, okay, one step is not just to include more people in your show but you have to have some really thoughtful storytelling in the writer's room and in the actors etc 
So I don't know. I, again, I didn't see anything. She doesn't talk about the show, but I thought to me, that was one big question I had was why did they decide to kill them all over again? They could have let them go and they killed them. And I don't know if I have an answer to that question in the show, at least. The big difference seems to be that Ellie tries to save Sam with her blood, yeah, which is not something that happens in the game. And I guess that's maybe acting as a reminder that she's supposed to be made into a vaccine at some point. I don't know. It's also kind of a sign of her continuing naivety. Yeah, I guess so. I, I think what gets me is like, I remembered I remembered that Sam got bitten when we were watching the show like I mm-hmm. knew that was coming I had forgotten that Henry shoots himself right afterwards oh no and yeah. that for some reason that even more than Sam's death got me this time because Henry didn't have to die like yeah it it just seemed especially cruel especially since in the show Sam has been act or um, Henry has been acting for so long to try to keep Sam alive and has like sacrificed so much yeah to keep Sam alive it just I don't know I don't know if like adding to the emotional weight of their deaths makes it any better because I do feel like the show added to the weight of it but at the same time it is just like we're just replaying trauma on black bodies yeah it I felt I felt pretty upset about it, actually, because, mm-hmm. listen, you gave Bill and Frank a much better ending. They did both yeah. die, but you gave That's them true. an ending. You gave That's them true. their own way out. And, you know, you didn't have to have Sam get bitten, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things you didn't have to do. So I don't know. It. I found it really troubling. And I, I think, as you pointed out, that seeing that against the actual reality we're living in where a young black boy can knock on a door and get shot for it because it's not the door that he intended to to go to it's just like all right I don't know that's enough I don't think we need to see this in our tv shows in this kind of way anymore yeah or in our games okay so the next thing that happens is you do finally reconnect with Tommy in Wyoming and you see his little community which is nice He's now living with a woman. They have a good relationship. Tommy seems to be happy and has it together and has kind of, at at least at the time, seems to have filled that hole in his soul that Joel has not managed to fill. Yeah. So we end up in Wyoming. We see Tommy for a bit. Tommy says that he will not go with them to find the fireflies because he's promised uh, his new love, Maria, that he won't. But- But they do offer some horses and some supplies. So then Joel and Ellie set out for the most recently known Firefly base in Colorado. So they go there to the university. They're looking around. They see that the Fireflies are no longer there. At the very end, as they're about to leave and head back to Wyoming, I think actually to Utah, because they've realized that the Fireflies have moved to St. Louis, not St. Louis, Salt Lake City, Utah. That's a different place. (laughs) I don't know why they'd go all the way back to St. Louis after they came all the way out to Colorado. They're going to to Salt Lake. They are attacked by a set of raiders. They, They kill a couple and then Joel falls onto a pole that goes through his side, which is really gross. And then Ellie has to take care of him. So you don't see a lot of that, but the, the next thing that happens is, is you're playing as Ellie 
and you're out hunting because it's winter and you need food and you've you've been stuck. So you start up playing as Ellie where you're trying to hunt this deer. You have to sort of uh, follow after it from a long distance and you do hit it eventually, but it doesn't die immediately. So you're glad following it over a long space. By the time you get to it, you run into these two raiders that you're pretty sure were related to the raiders that you saw at the university. She's trying to play it cool, pretend like she's from some other larger group. And they offer to trade her for the deer. So she says, well, if you'll get me medicine, penicillin in particular, then you can have this deer to take back to your group. Even though, of course, I'm from also a very big group that has hungry women and children. So this is when we meet David, a key problematic character in both the game and the show. So again, as usual, things go to shit. (laughs) A bunch of zombies attack while you're with David. You manage uh, as Ellie to hold your own and get away from them, but they follow you. They find the town that you're holding Joel in. You manage to give Joel the medicine and then you decide to take the horse and lead the raiders away from the town. In the process of that, you, after killing a bunch of readers as Ellie, which is one of the hardest, I think, sequences in the game is that sequence where you're just a a 14 year old girl trying to take out grown ass men on this, like this place that would otherwise be really restful because it's obviously like a vacation lodge for the summer in, in the Rockies of Colorado. And and instead you're like sneaking around trying to kill people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So eventually you get taken by David again and he puts you in a cell and he's trying to convince the others that you will behave yourself and that they should take care of you, which is weird. Why would he do that? He is just as mad at Joel and they don't need another mouth to feed. Why would he do that? It becomes clear pretty quickly that he's got a weird fascination with Ellie that's pretty much sexual romantic, but also fatherly, which is all a very weird mix to be putting together. Yeah. Ellie escapes again, only to then finally be taken into a burning restaurant by David and slowly stalked after. And it's, I think, one of the most terrifying scenes in the whole game. For me, that really stood out as a a key moment in the game is when you're playing as Ellie in this room with this man who will not stop and who will not allow you to escape. And the only option you have is to survive. In both cases, after getting pretty brutally hurt, Ellie does manage to kill David and she kills the hell out of him. She really kills the hell out of him. (laughs) And then Joel comes in at the last minute and takes you away from there. Yeah, so this was something they did do in the show. I feel like they were pretty faithful. Yeah, I this was another thing that I had like mostly forgotten from the game. <laughs> and I had actually entirely forgotten that you switch over to playing as Ellie at this point. But I now remember this was one of the the first games where I can remember switching bodies into a body that handles differently to, yeah for, for lack of a better term yeah. like the the things that you have gotten used to being able to do as Joel just do not work in the same way as yeah. Ellie yeah and it's it's actually one of I I really like it when games do this another example that I think was actually I think it came out 
I'm pretty sure it came out before this one, but it was one of the Metal Gear Solid games where you play as old Snake. Mm-hmm. And like, it, you know, it's this whole franchise based on like sneaking around. Um, and <laughs> yeah. when you're playing as old Snake, like if you crouch too long, like his back hurts and he's like, gotta like get the kinks out of his back. So you can't yeah. like crouch too much in this body. And I, I really like it when games kind of force us to remember that like you're you're playing a specific kind of person. Like this isn't yeah. just an empty shell for you to inhabit. This is a person with actual like limitations and constraints. And yeah, I remember, I think this is, I think one of my favorite moments in the game, not David so much as being able to play as Ellie in part because you've been getting to know her so well mm-hmm. and it's just really interesting to kind of be her for a bit but also because it's just so freaking hard yeah like yeah I mean and I think the 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 genius of it happening so late in the game is you have really learned the controls for Joel yeah. and you have learned that because Joel is this big guy who's used to fighting you can brute force a lot of situations that you absolutely can't as ellie on the upside ellie does have a knife you don't have to go around making shifts she's she's got a knife that that lasts through these situations but yeah it, it becomes i think it's like just at the moment where you've you've kind of gotten used to and have maybe stopped being as afraid of the different types of of baddies in the game like you've kind of mm-hmm. learned how to handle the different zombies and even though the the human raiders are much less predictable than zombies you've you've kind of figured that out too and then they're like nope here's something else that you have to deal with you are a tiny 14 year old girl now with not no, you do not yeah. have the years of fighting experience yeah it was just really really hard there's a lot more sneaking around I died so much as Ellie but I also came to really appreciate the very different kinds of approaches you had to take to the game in order to succeed which I don't know I really really appreciated quite a bit in terms of the storytelling of the game, but it also gives you a chance to really fully appreciate Ellie, mm-hmm. which will be very important for the end of the game, which is coming soon. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I appreciate about this is I was actually playing this game around the same time I was working on my dissertation and mm-hmm. I was reading a lot about one of my dissertation chapters was about a rape case that happened in Louisville. And I was reading a lot about like narratives of rape. Mm-hmm. And, but one of the things that I was reading that really stuck with me was how often in fictional works, sexual assault of a woman is used as a way to forward a man's storyline again, Mm -hmm. how often vengeance for a sexual assault is taken by a woman's male relative rather than her getting her own revenge. And I appreciate that the game did not have Joel swoop in last minute to save her and instead she got to like end this herself i guess yeah yeah she she gets herself out of it i mean yeah. joel is there to be like okay let we got let's go but like he's yeah. too late right for for this particular interaction yeah that's really interesting i had never thought of that but i think that's a really good point like ellie gets to hold her own and fight against mm-hmm. her own big bad in this case 
Yeah. Also, David is just a really creepy character, but I, I appreciate that they were like, here's a man who seems nice. Nope. He's a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I, I feel a little weird about the whole, like, I want to be your husband, but also your father thing that he does because in a game that is so much about fatherhood and like father daughter relationships, I, I wish they had just let it be about like, hey here's a burgeoning and relatively healthy father-daughter relationship instead of it being like and also here's the like bad daddy I don't know like yeah I don't know I (laughs) I think for me the chance that Ellie gets to hold her own I agree we don't need to have David necessarily but I think I feel like this game plays a lot with parallels. Obviously, Ellie and Sarah are a huge parallel. Tommy doesn't really end up getting to be a parallel for Joel. So you have this other parallel to Joel in this yeah. in, in this nightmare verse <laughs> that everybody's yeah. living in. And he has, you know, a lot of control in the community he's in. Although in the game, he's not the leader. I guess he is kind of the leader of the community, but not in the same way as he yeah. is in the show in the show he's much more of like a, a i don't know a, a david crush type just like yeah really really scary all right so we'll, we'll, we're gonna bring things to a close yep. with the narrative of the game so after that happens you finally make it to the beautiful city of salt lake uh city utah and it's beautiful in particular for two reasons. One, it's where you've been trying to go this whole game to beat the fireflies. And two, because as you're heading to the hospital, you get to see some giraffes running wild. They've escaped yep. the goo. They've maintained their family for 20 years. And it's just a really lovely little scene and kind of decompression moment before the absolute horror that you are about to be asked to do at the end of the game. It's a really nice (laughs) moment of like Ellie having gone through this horribly traumatic thing. And yet we still, we see that she like still has this sense of wonder about the world. Like, yeah, it also was really funny when we were watching this part in the show again, like after going through our own pandemic and you know there were all the memes of like nature is healing itself and I I was like look at the giraffes nature is healing itself even though these are giraffes in Utah where they don't belong yeah 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 it's it is such a lovely scene and it's definitely necessary after all the shit that's gone down so it's it's a nice breath of fresh air Yeah. So then after you see the drafts, you finally meet up with the fireflies. You reconnect with Marlene and you get taken in and they whisk Ellie away from you. And the next thing you know, Marlene is explaining that Ellie's in surgery and uh, you're like, okay, when do I get to see her next? And Marlene's like, every, all of the stuff is wrapped around her brain. She's not going to live through surgery. Like that's the whole point. And Then as a player, you are asked to do something that I remember being so angry about. I was like, no, Joel, don't you fucking do it, Joel. This is not Sarah. And he does it anyway. So then if you want to see how the game ends, you have to kill all of the fireflies in the building, basically, including the only man who could potentially make a vaccine. (laughs) Yep. Which is just crazy. I mean, it's, I think you, you're, you're able to go through so much of the game being like, listen, 
Joel had to do a lot of stuff to survive, but he's fundamentally a good guy. And then you get to this point, you're like, no, Joel is a monster. <laughs> yeah. And I'm having to do this because Joel can't be like, hey, the greater good. Nope. He's like, I need my daughter. And that's the only thing that matters. So you fight through this building. You kill as many people as you possibly can. You do end up killing Marlene, but not on screen. She's like trying to tell you, please don't do this. Although by the time she's trying to convince you of that, it's already too late. You've killed way too many people who would help the vaccine to move forward. And then you take Ellie back to Wyoming and the, the game ends on this really poignant scene between you and Ellie where you're overlooking the the town where Tommy lives in Wyoming and and she asks you to swear that you're telling the truth that they you know that they had found many more kids like her that it wasn't doing any good and so you left and Joel says I promise everything was true and Ellie looks at him and then she says okay and then the, the game ends and it's an incredibly poignant moment because you can't tell whether Ellie believes him or not. Yeah. And they basically do that in the show too. Yep. It's, it's very faithful. Okay. So two things here. First of all, yeah, I remembered the fight in the hospital very well, probably because I had to do it so many times because <laughs> yeah. I died a lot. So the, like watching it in the show where they do this whole, like, Almost like like Joe Joel just going through like slow mo killing everybody in this like beautiful bullet ballet kind of style and I'm just like no yeah. that's not how it was yeah he's um, like in a fugue state yeah yeah <laughs> so it's really hard so there was that but also like this is I want to harken back to a point I was talking about earlier where we have like Joel as a set character rather than as someone that we as players control because the player has very limited say in in this moment like yeah you can make a choice but it's pretty clear that the narrative is telling you there's only one right choice yeah and I think it's it can be a bit upsetting or frustrating I think in those moments as players when we've gotten used to games where we have more of a like blank slate for our characters mm-hmm. to like yeah. have our characters doing things that we maybe disagree with yeah when I was watching this again in the show I I remember feeling equally annoyed with Marlene this time yeah mostly because of the way that they had lied to Ellie they Mm -hmm. they had they had told her this is just going to be a normal surgery and Marlene says you know, like, you know, this is what she would have chosen. And like having Marlene make that choice for her, especially after we've had like these, we've built up to Ellie being a person of agency within the game, right? Like she's been our player character. We've seen her overcome these like really difficult challenges. And we get the sense that both her and Joel are learning how to deal with some of the trauma of Uh, living in this world especially through bad puns and to have her agency taken away like that and I I don't think that Joel should get to decide either like yeah so yeah that's what I meant when I was like I had very strong feelings about the end of this game Uh, it was mostly that moment of feeling like my hand was forced as a player to make a decision that I didn't agree with which I 
don't know is a bad, like I don't judge the game for it. It was just really frustrating for me. Yeah, I do. I remember, yeah, as I said, feeling really frustrated as well when it became clear that you can either stop the game here and pretend that (laughs) that Joel let this happen and they got Mm -hmm. a vaccine or you can play the actual end of the game and realize that that means killing a bunch of innocent people. And yeah, as you pointed out, it's really hard in the game. Like it is not this ballet of bullets. I know that you kill way many fewer people in the show because you can't mm-hmm. kill the number of people you kill in a video game, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> even on a TV show. Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard. I, I think, I think the ending, ending the very last shot of the game is just the perfect end to mm-hmm. the game as is because you yeah. don't know whether Ellie believes him or not. It's very ambiguous. And I I love it because, well, they've already taken, as you pointed out, they've already taken yeah. all of this away from Ellie. It's almost like she that's the one point when she does have a choice, although not yeah. a great one. Yeah. And it's it's so uncertain. I feel like they didn't wrap a bow on it, which I really do appreciate. And I don't know, I think it's one of the reasons that I feel like The Last of Us is the perfect video game. Man, I if you if you had asked me this question 10 years ago, I might have agreed with you. I think I feel differently <laughs> now. Uh, it, yeah. Just because of like a sense of time and also like myself as a player, like I have come to really enjoy open world games a lot more, but I also I, I still really like this. This was, like you said, one of the first games, if not the first game that really played like a movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth giving a, a little hat tip to Troy Baker, who voiced Joel. He also was the voice of Revolver Ocelot in mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid Phantom Pain, which was also incredibly cinematic, even more so than The Last of Us, I think but also sillier because it's Metal Gear Solid. He was also in Death Stranding, which is, again, incredibly cinematic. And he's one of my favorite voice actors, to be honest. Like, I, if if I had a chance to meet Troy Baker, I do not think I would be able to hold it together. Like, I think <laughs> I would just melt into a puddle. So I think now I'm feeling a little bit more... I'm going to, I'm going to use the word jaded, I think, because Mm -hmm. this used to be a trope that I really enjoyed and now I don't enjoy it as much anymore. I'm getting a little bit more jaded about post-apocalyptic narratives where it's like, Mm -hmm. we thought the monsters were the monsters, but it turns out that the humans were the bigger monsters all along. Yeah. And I, I think that part of it is that I want more content about like people managing to like work out their differences through compromise and conversation rather than having to kill as many actual humans as you do. Right. And it felt very noticeable in the show, especially that there comes a point where you just don't see zombies anymore. And I think that's maybe true in the game as well. Like Mm -hmm. there comes a point where the only threat is other humans. Yeah, the latter half of the game is mostly raiders. Like there's this whole scene later in the game where there are a bunch of zombies, but all you have to do is sneak past them. And it's kind of like, well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I wish the game hadn't relied on that trope so heavily 
But at the same time, 10 years ago, that trope still felt relatively fresh. And since then we've had, you know, like the walking dead has played it to death and a lot of other things, but at that time it was still very fresh. So I think that's kind of where I stand on it now is like this. I don't think this is necessarily the kind of game that I would enjoy as much as a player now, but also I think maybe it feels a little dated for me now. Gotcha. Yeah. I feel like for me, I still feel like it's really one of the best games I've ever played that wasn't one where I got to adjust my character in some kind of way. Cause I would say if I were to choose like the two series that I really think are always going to remain Supreme, that's going to be dragon age and mass effect. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, in terms of games that have a little bit more of the rails on, I, I still feel like for me, it is one of the most perfect video games. I do agree that maybe if I was trying to play the first game now, and it was the same thing as it was in 2013, Mm-hmm. I would feel very differently about it. We haven't talked about part two today, but I think mm-hmm. we should at some point, especially maybe after the second season comes out because, well, there's a lot of controversy about part two, but I feel like part two, it takes your trope in a different direction and it it asks some really good questions about it in the way that The Last of Us doesn't do. So I think coming back to that discussion of like, you know, what are these tropes? I will say the show was enjoyable to watch insofar as they changed some of the stories to be for the better a little bit. Like I guess Bill and Frank was a great episode is all I'm saying. And and you yeah. get to see more open queerness in ways that you did not get to see in the game. But I have to say, I would never have watched this show if it were not connected to a game I had such a relationship with as a player. Yeah. I totally would have watched the show anyway, because I, it's like checking three different boxes for me. Like I watch a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff. I, mm. I consume a lot of those narratives. I really love Pedro Pascal. Yeah. And I also, the, the girl that plays Ellie, who was Lady Mormont in Game of Thrones. Yeah, Bella Ramsey. Really, yes. I yeah. love her as well. But also I like stories about scary fungus. <laughs> That's true. And I, I did, I, one thing I really appreciated when I was rewatching the episode about Bill and Frank is just how beautiful the, the makeup and props people did on, yeah. on the rendering of all the different mushrooms on these yeah. fungus people, which was great. I do want to say for listeners that we are aware of the fact that Bella Ramsey is non-binary, but she does go Uh, by she or they, them pronouns. So I was actually not aware of that fact. So thank you. Yeah, I, well, I remember I was watching the show and I had this weird moment where it was one of the outfits that, that Ellie was wearing. And I looked at it and there was something about just the way it was sitting. I was like, I think the actor is wearing a binder. And I was like, so I just looked it up. I was like, Bella Ramsey binder, last of us. And it turns out that Bella was wearing a binder through 90% of the filming of that show. And I was like, that's weird that I could spot a binder underneath clothes, but also kind of cool. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Also, apparently some people were really mad about Bella Ramsey being cast because they don't look like Ellie. And some people were like, being like, Bella's ugly, blah, 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 blah. Just 
show is too queer it's like well then you should be mad yeah. at the game because the yeah. game's pretty um, gay <laughs> yeah no I I really love Bella in Game of Thrones actually in the later seasons when I was starting to feel really disenchanted with the show Lady Mormont was like one of the like bright parts for me yeah. still so well cool thank you yeah. for educating me yep and yes, it's perfectly fine if you, okay. And she said, they've said that they don't give a shit about pronouns. What's weirder is for them to be called like uh, a promising young woman or whatever. They're like, what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. So, well, thanks for letting me talk about The Last of Us with you. Yeah, this and you're fun. the one who introduced me in the first place. So thanks for that. It does yeah. feel a little bit full circle. So. It does. Well, my takeaway for this week is that you shouldn't be afraid of becoming a zombie because you get to become a cool sculpture covered in different types of mushrooms. And that seems nice. Yeah. My takeaway is that it's really cool to have narratives where the gay subtext doesn't have to be subtext. Yeah. Gay text. Woo! Gay text. Thank you everyone for listening and we will catch you next time. Bye y'all.